You know what you do in the game is you are uh, a postman. And you, yeah, it, it is, <laughs> apparently you carry shit around. The basic thing is you are a courier in a post-apocalyptic landscape. You walk shit around. Like the and, Kevin Costner movie? Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like, Isn't that weird? What you Very. literally do, the mechanic, is, is like, they make a big deal out of it. It's like you have to decide where in your body you put everything. <laughs> So, so like you have to like load yourself up to, and it like changes your center of gravity. The, the stupid thing about that is imagine like you spending hours in front of a mirror in the game, being like, no, can't move that the there. The stupid thing about that is, if you look at a level of realism that is just completely unnecessary, yeah. like that's not fun to micromanage. <laughs> where three friends watch a bad movie, talk about what they like, what they didn't like, and how they would fix it while drinking a theme cocktail. I am Brendan. I won't stop till you kill me or I kill you. Drishler. I'm Chris, full of sweat and regret, Ravel. And I am Lee, thrives in the dark and the cold, Delahandy. <laughs> and as you can tell by our very appropriate nicknames this week, the movie we watched for our spooky Halloween episode Ooh. is Guillermo del Toro's Crimson Peak, Ooh. starring Mia Wasikowska, uh, Tom Hiddleston, Jessica Chastain, Charlie Hunnam, Jim Beavers, and not much else. Not really, I mean... It's a pretty small cast yeah, for it really most is. of the part. You might uh, see some recognizable faces, but not know their names. Burn Gorham pops up for a little bit. You know Burn Gorham. He's another game of the Torah movies. Anyway, so while we watched Crimson Peak today, we decided to do a little high tea. Uh, it was thematically appropriate, we uh, thought, because this movie really loves pouring tea down Mia Wasikowska's throat. Just, like, pouring tons and tons of jewel-toned red tea yep. right into those cups. Yep. It's so bitter. Made of fucking thornberries or something. Wild thornberries. The, the wild, the yeah, wild, wild thornberries. Thorn <laughs> wild thornberries. Lacking in any wild thornberries for our drink, we decided to make a cocktail called A Measure of Bitterness. And what it was is rooibos tea, one and a half ounces of brandy, and one and a half ounces of cranberry shrub that Chris made. So you pretty much just throw the shrub and brandy in a teacup, add some tea on top of it, and stir it. That's it. And we also had, just as oh, a yeah. part of our high tea spread, uh, we had some cucumber finger sandwiches, uh -huh. we had some scones mm -hmm. with... Uh, Butter and strawberry jam. Yeah, yep. and... Yep. Um, macarons. Yeah, macarons in various flavors. Yeah. It uh, sure looked nice. The, the overall... Spread, though, was lovely. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It was a nice afternoon. Yeah, we should do more, like, excessive meal theming sometime <laughs> if it calls for it. Yeah. It's kind of fun. Uh, what did you guys think of the drink, though? It was all right. Yeah? I think it's not my thing. Mm -hmm. Like, the, I would never have... I don't really like brandy that much. Mm -hmm. And I had never really had rabies tea before, mm -hmm. but I think when I was smelling it, I was like, I don't think this is my kind of tea. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, surprisingly, together, it was kind of like a nice, warm, mm -hmm. somewhat sweet, somewhat tangy... Drink? It was, yeah. It definitely, um, I think I would have pulled, when I was making the shrub, I should have, like, undercut the vinegar a little. Just it was like, your first time. Gear it back. But it was, uh, I thought it, like, it simulated the poison in the tea yeah. kind of well, because it was a very brief, There like, was, like, a tang. Like, a sharp it. bite. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I could have also, yeah, like you said, I could have done with a scotch less vinegar, but I think on the whole, as a first attempt of making a shrub, it was pretty successful yeah. given that you had never done it before. A shrub, um, as if anyone is, is wondering, is really just uh, fruit, sugar, water, and vinegar all boiled together yeah. until you kind of have this like nice, sweet, tart liquid yeah. that you can base out for cocktails. Mm-hmm. Do you think it was because you used juice instead of berries that um, the vinegar was more pronounced? Maybe. Pretend. It could have been. Yeah, yeah we could not find cranberries, so yeah. we used unsweetened cranberry juice instead. I'm truly shocked there were no there was That's no cranberries weird. This around. is fucking Massachusetts, goddammit. We're yeah. supposed to have cranberries everywhere. You're I supposed don't... to just wander through a bog and scoop them up. <laughs> I mean, I, I was I wandered through multiple stores trying to find it, and I was just like... Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. Anyway, I think the drink, like, yeah, I, I, I personally, it wasn't to my taste, but despite, like, me not liking the things, like, it came out very nice. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Just, like, when I was smelling the shrub, I was like, oh, this is very vinegary. I was like, I don't know if this is going to work. And then, like, you just mix it with it. Roybus, I'm not really a tea person to begin with, so, like, I feel you on the roybus just because I'm not really wild. Any kind of tea. I know you're... Summer bowls, but... Yeah. Uh, But it it was just a very... It was a very sort of bitter kind of scented yeah. tea and so you know and again also I don't really do brandy that much on its own either but it did surprisingly work out pretty well I thought mm-hmm. I also All thought considered. the like the macaroon selection was was Thank quite you. a choice those lavenders were yeah. so good yeah I thought that would be appropriate too uh, and I know Lee loves lavender Lee loves Our lavender favorite lavender, loves Lee loves lavender. lavender. <laughs> Well, having gotten that business out of the way, let's go on to our summary of Crimson Peak. Chris, could you pull that up on Wikipedia, please? Yes, courtesy of our uh, of our stalwart friend, Professor Wikipedia. Professor Wikipedia. <laughs> Wikipedia. Uh, so, in Buffalo, New York, 1887, American heiress Edith Cushing, the young daughter of wealthy businessman Carter Cushing, is visited by her deceased mother's black disfigured ghost, who warns her, beware of Crimson Peak. In 1901, Edith, a budding author, meets Sir Thomas Sharp, a English baronet who has come to the United States with his sister Lucille to seek investors for his clay mining invention. Unimpressed with Sharp's previous failures to raise capital, Mr. Cushing rejects Thomas's proposal. When Thomas and Edith become romantically involved, both Edith's, Edith's father and her childhood friend, Dr. Alan McMichael, disapprove. Mr. Cushing hires a private detective who uncovers unsavory facts about the Sharps. Mr. Cushing then bribes the siblings to have Thomas end his relationship with Edith. Thomas however, sends Edith a note explaining his actions. After Mr. Cushing is brutally murdered, Edith and Thomas marry and return to England. They arrive at Allerdale Hall, the Sharp's dilapidated mansion in Cumberland, which is steadily sinking into the red clay mine it sits atop. Much to her confusion, Edith finds that Lucille is cold towards her, while Thomas is physically distant, their marriage remaining unconsummated. Gruesome red ghosts begin appearing to Edith throughout the mansion, frightening her. Thomas decides taking her out of the house for fresh air will help her and has her accompany him to the local post office. There, Edith discovers that Thomas had some connection to an Italian woman. They are snowed in for the night and take the opportunity to finally make love. Lucille angrily lashes out after their return, seemingly upset that Edith and Thomas were together, which disturbs Edith. By the time Thomas mentions that their estate is referred to as Crimson Peak due to the warm red clay seeping through the snow, Edith is growing weak and coughing up blood. Edith explores the mansion and pieces clues together, discovering that Thomas previously married three wealthy women, one of whom was Italian. The ghost lures her into a closet which, in which she discovers wax cylinders on which one of Thomas's previous wives recorded a message, explaining that the Sharps are poisoning her for her inheritance. Edith realizes that she too is being poisoned through the tea that Lucille gives her every day, and that the siblings 
siblings have had an incestuous relationship for years. Lucille, the more damaged of the two, also murdered their mother after she had discovered the children's incest and later that chi the child that had resulted of their relationship. Thomas inherited the family manor that, like many arist aristocratic estates of the era, is no longer profitable. The Sharps are virtually penniless. The siblings thus begin, began a marriage and murder scheme to support themselves and finance Thomas's old M &M, huh? <laughs> That classic move. <laughs> The M&M M.O. Back in the United States, Alan learns what Mr. Cushing had uncovered about the Sharps prior to his death, Thomas's multiple marriages, Lucille's time in a mental institution. He travels to Allerdale Hall to rescue Edith. When Alan arrives, Lucille dem demands that Thomas kill him. By now, Thomas feels suffocated by Lucille, who wants to leave all this behind, and has fallen in love with Edith. That phrasing was really confusing. It's Thomas who wants to leave us all behind and has fallen in love with Edith. Wishing to protect her, he inflicts a non-fatal stab wound on to Alan and hides him. Lucille forces Edith to sign a transfer deed granting the Sharps ownership of her estate and also confesses that she was the one who murdered Edith's father. Edith stabs Lucille and attempts to flee. Thomas burns the transfers and tells his sister that they can leave the house and they can all be together, but Lucille realizes that he meant Edith will be with him as well. Upset and jealous that Thomas loves Edith after he promised not to fall in love with any of his wives and love only Lucille, she kills him in a blind rage and then pursues Edith. Aided by Thomas's white ghost, Edith kills Lucille with a shovel and silently says farewell to her husband's ghost before he vanishes. Edith and Alan are rescued by the villagers, whereas Lucille becomes a black ghost, doomed to remain alone <laughs> in the mansion for all eternity. The beginning of the end credits implies that Edith has written a novel titled Crimson Peak based on her experiences. Thank you, Chris. Honestly, all told, given how much this movie tends to kind of just spread out and float around sometimes, this was a pretty uh, streamlined summary. Can we real quick establish actors and characters? Since yes. So, okay, so Edith is Mia Vasakowska, Sir Thomas Sharp Baronet is Tom Hiddleston, mm -hmm. Lady Lucy is Jessica Chastain mm -hmm. and Alan McMichael is Charlie Hunnam. Yes. Okay, just so they're, we... They're really the only people... Well, and I guess you could say like Jim Beavers. Right, but like Mr. we're Cushing. not going to call him Jim Beavers. Right. We'll just, we'll just be dead. All right, so now that we've covered all of that, let's get into our first topic. Uh, the first thing I kind of wanted to bring up is the idea of what is gothic fiction or gothic horror in mm -hmm. general. I think we all have a little bit of experience with the concepts of gothic fiction and gothic horror as it relates to books and movies because we've all read or watched several of them. Mm -hmm. You have like your Rebecca's, right? You have even things like... Um, um, the Innocence, which I love a lot. There's, you know, like the Telltale Heart. Right. You've um, got Poe. I mean, Frankenstein to a point is sort of like a gothic horror movie. Dracula has aspects mm -hmm. of it as well. I would even say uh, Hush Sweet Charlotte kind of has aspects of that as well. It's more of a gaslighting story, but there is a similar like... You can even talk about like Jane Eyre. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. And um, Northanger Abbey, right? Yeah. Being like a parody. It's a parody. It's a parody. Yeah. yeah, it's more yeah. of a deconstruction. Yeah, which is... Something I kind of wish perhaps this movie had done a little more of. I love uh, Abbey. Yeah. What makes something gothic fiction or gothic horror, right? Like Cold, distant men. Right. Cold, distant yes. men brooding. Exactly. Definitely cold, distant. Usually it's like you're attracted or you're married to this man before you really get yep. to know him. And he's like, um... Great choices all around. Yep. Everyone's <laughs> making wise decisions. He's aloof. Um, he's usually rich, right? Yes. He's or it's usually a very large house that's very, like, big and drafty and ominous. You're not exploring all the rooms. Sometimes there's elements of, like, a bluebeard to yes, it, right? exactly. Where it's like, there's the, the chamber you must not go into ever. Or, or like, like the wing of yeah, the house. Yeah, the wing where you yeah. can never go into the house. There's usually a lot of questions that kind of lead to a larger mystery going on. Mm -hmm. If they want to make that dude a villain, yeah. I think he tends to get more remote and distant and cold. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think if you want to make that guy sympathetic, he becomes more of a Byronic hero. Yep. Um, yeah, sad boys. Yeah, yeah, lots um, of sad boys. I feel like there's usually a pretty good handful of, like, spooky, odd supporting characters that kind of flit right. in and Yeah, out. there's often servants who are either in on it or creepy or... Right, like Mrs. Danvers being the most obvious 
obvious example of yeah. Yeah, Rebecca, where she's and just... isn't there like a maid in Jane Eyre whose job it is to just sort of sit outside the crazy one? Yes, room or yeah, 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 mm-hmm. yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. You know, there's there's groans and creaks and right. And so I would say a lot of it, even when it comes to the horror, is not necessarily even supernatural horror per se. A lot of it is sort of more like what we would associate, I think, with like a thriller. It's poetic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's usually um, a very heightened style and yeah. there's usually a lot of heightened emotion. It's, right. Um, yeah. it's, it's usually very dramatic. There's a lot of flourishes. Right. Florid. The florid. Yeah. I don't know if we expressly said this, but it's usually the point of view of a woman. Not always. Yeah, yep. and uh, often, but not always, the woman is kind of naive. Yeah, a little young. passive, perhaps. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is like her, you know, I, I feel like the, the scene where she goes into the place where she's not supposed to go to is like a metaphor for sexual awakening, right? Where it it's like, yeah. then it's like, oh, now now you are a woman now, and you've learned things that you never thought you would know before. It, yeah. it also, I think, is supposed to reference the, like, Eve couldn't resist the temptation yeah. kind of thing of, like, those women, they're always right. doing what they're not supposed right. to. right, so naughty. Yeah. Those um, naughty gals. Usually I've noticed when it's men, they're usually grappling with, like, they're, like some kind of personal demon, or they're trying to uncover, like, a family secret. It's often mm. guilt. They're often guilty yeah. about something. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's things that they did directly or sometimes indirectly. Um, they're generally redeemable if they're the protagonist. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a reason for the bad thing they did. Or They're also typically... I mean, I was going to say, well, sorry, not to cut you up, but I feel like you can go either way. Even if they're not the protagonist or the love interest, you can kind of go 50-50, right? Like, by the end of the novel, they could be redeemed and they yeah. could be you no know, person, or they could be, like, sinking into the quagmire of their own making, right? Yeah. So, like, it could really go either way. Sorry, what were you saying? Oh, sorry. I was also going to say that it's it's usually a period like, piece. It's usually stuff... Well, I mean, they well, weren't they were written at the time. Right, yeah. but I'm saying the way they're done now, there's not, like, a modern equivalent <coughs> of a gothic no. horror story. Yeah, I, I guess... Well, I, I mean, no know. one's writing them anymore. Yeah, I, I was going to say that, because I feel like even... You had sort of, like, the southern gothic thing that we were doing in the 50s and 60s, right? There are elements of that with, like, some of what Truman Capote was doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, have you ever read The Beguiled or seen the movie? I saw the movie. Which and one? then the the most recent okay. one, which I thought, like, hey, that was pretty good. But I um, the thing that still bugs me to this day, the, the plot changes they made are objectively bad for the new movie. I don't remember all. I remember seeing it and liking it, but I could not tell you specifics of it. Um, the, well, mostly it's because, like, I know this is going to be a slight diversion, but... Um, Kirsten Dunst plays a character who in the book is of mixed race. Oh, that's right. I but do they, remember reading that. But they change her to a white woman yeah. in the movie, but they keep everything that she does in the book the same. So it gets very confusing, and it makes so much more sense if that woman is mixed yeah. race. I agree with you, Lee. It's not really something that we're doing so much anymore. I'm sure yeah. there are still some and examples of it. And you wouldn't, because, um, again, I mean, we'll, we thought about doing this as a topic at some point, but it's yeah. not... A, the, the kind of women that are in these novels are not women you should be writing about today in right. general. Right. So, I mean, like, th- this is the challenge when you're making a movie that's so influenced by, like, gothic horror and gothic fiction. You gotta update like, it. Right. How do you update this for modern sensibilities while keeping those recognizable trappings of what is yeah. gothic so fiction? Yeah, so this might be then a bit unique because I don't know if this, if there is another example of, like, a movie that is a, a gothic romance that is done now. Right. And wholly mm-hmm. original. Set, right. Yeah, but set way back. Yeah. It's... It's interesting because not not to transition to Crimson Peak too early, but I feel like this movie at least gestures at attempts to try to modernize, not modernize it, but update it a little. Like mm. she's writing, she's very creative, she's like trying to get this career that women don't typically get in this time. But that's kind of it. It reads very bad to me. It reads very like, how do we 
I'm a 90s person. Yeah, How do yeah. I make a woman from the 1800s really independent? Oh, yeah, she'll go on about how she doesn't need a man and she'll be an author and yeah. take her seriously. Like, yeah. I don't know. It seems very, like... I, I agree. It feels like the most, like, basic thing you could do to yeah. update the character. And they also only go halfway with it. The fact that she's a writer doesn't have much to do with the movie. Yeah. And that's, like... Like, a revolutionary concept. She could want to be married and have a career. Yeah. Right. What about that? Yeah. Right. Have you yeah. thought about that? It, um, yeah, no, it does feel sort of very, I, I don't, I don't want to say like performatively woke because I don't think that's what I'm sort of going for here, but it does feel like it's, like, it's like the most base yeah. level, like if you were to say like, how, how make woman modern, you would say she doesn't want husband, she yeah. wants a career. Well, I, I, th- I know what you're going for, because yeah, it, it, it just seems like uh, the easiest, like, I don't want to think too hard or right. lazy and I want to make it seem like she's modern. Yeah. Well, and it, it did seem like maybe there was like a script note that said like, can you make her a little more, I don't know, independent? Spunky? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Spunky? Spunky. Give her a little bit of moxie. And so yeah. the writer was like, I guess she can be a writer? Yeah. yeah. But, she'll be, yeah, she'll want to have like a, a job, like a man job. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But like not too manly, right? It's still yeah, like, yeah, it's, yeah. It's a, it's a plausible job, it's still, right? It's still a more feminine, creative right. job or right. line of work she wants to get yeah. into. Yeah, and she'll have yeah. opinions about the nobility. Yeah. 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 Even Which though she kind of disappear after she gets a little She settles right she into that lap of luxury. One hot guy yeah. all goes out the way. Out the way. <laughs> Fair enough. I know about a couple of values for Tommy Olsen. You don't understand. He makes his own inventions. He's not like those other rich people. He's not people. like those fucking parasites. Right. Oh, oh wow. so she literally is a parasite. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Honey, way to abandon your value system. Truly. Well, I do love that she has this extreme, I guess we'll get into characters a little later, but she has this extremely strong opinion right off the bat when she hears, Baronet sounds like it's a parasite with yeah. a title. Yeah. And everyone's like, <gasps> my what a, cool. what, what a hot take. And then later she meets <laughs> But then she meets him and she's like all a Twitter and her eyes just like yeah, go saucered yeah. and she's like, wait, you're going to read my story? Well, I guess that's it. I'm on board for this now. Um, there are a lot of interviews with Guillermo del Toro talking about this movie where he was saying that something that he wanted to do is obviously the intent from the get-go was to make like a gothic fiction story, mm-hmm. right? And you get this whole thing coming through like throughout the entire movie. It's said several times. It's said most prominently in the scene where there is some guy, the dad from Jumanji is reading her book and he's, he's like, oh, so it's a ghost story. So he's like, uh, actually, point of order and turns to the camera is like, it's a story with ghosts in it. Right. And then we continue from there. But which like obviously is the central thesis of the movie, right? It's not a ghost story. It is a story which happens to have ghosts which like fine whatever okay I get it I honestly wish it was more of a ghost story I do too but so what I'm saying is that also is that he also talks about like his desire to sort of deconstruct the ideas of what gothic fiction and gothic horror could be and so what he wanted to do is make the women have more power in the story and have the men be kind of ineffectual and like yeah to be fair Dr. McMichael is like fucking ineffectual to the nth degree well and when if you compare the sharp siblings Tom Hiddleston is definitely the more ineffectual right, yeah. of the two and like you have a woman as the focus of the story which like I guess is kind of putting more f- emphasis yeah putting more emphasis we're, 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 we're putting a female yeah. more center right. stage. Yeah, but like at the end of the day, I don't feel like she acts that much stronger than a woman might have in a story that no, was written in the 1800s. I, I don't think that you can say that like just having her, because like a woman is always the fucking right. focus. Like just Jane Eyre is the main character of Jane Eyre. Yeah. And like the Rebecca, the second Mrs. DeWinter is the main character. Right. The whole story is from her perspective. Right. She's very passive and yeah. you know, whatever. It is what it is. I like Rebecca a yeah. lot. But like. But it's a well told story. It's a well told yeah. story and it is what it is. But you can't 
can't just like say that like I don't think he gets any credit for having no. Edith be the main character and calling that like we put focus no, in the world. Yeah. That's your job. Well, in and I also right. bet he would be like, well, we also gave we gave you this like really great villain who's also a woman. But I actually think it sh- it ends up letting the men who are involved in the story kind of off the hook because they're like, well, it's really all this crazy bitch's fault. Yeah, and I was also going to say I feel like still though, nonetheless, at the end of the day, like what does Edith do to make herself like a more active protagonist? Not Nothing. a whole lot, really. No. Like not much until the end. She's still kind of just passively going along with everything that happens. Mm-hmm. Like in the beginning, her mom, her ghost mom shows up and says like, hey kid, beware Crimson Peak. She gets there. She finds out it's called Crimson Peak and is like, ooh, strange. But then continues <laughs> to stay there for an un- for like an uncertain amount of time. Oh right? yeah, but she, she like, even up, even before she finds out that it's Crimson Peak, she ignores so many red flags. Right. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, as soon as she gets off like the carriage, right? Like the groundskeeper runs over and is like, here's some red flags for you. Like you've been married for such a long time, like Sir Thomas. Yeah. And, like, and she's like, what did he mean by that? Thomas is like, I don't know. He's really old. Which and she has like a negative insight score because like <laughs> she can't read the craziness oh of the seal. Oh, well, yeah. there's that. But yeah. there's also like, as, I feel like as soon as you go through the front door and you just see this mound of leaves yeah. sitting in like the foyer and there's just a gaping hole in the ceiling, how are you not like... What did I get myself into? Yeah. <laughs> Am I in a safe place? Yeah. She never wants... Is this, is this not a weird Grey Gardens situation? Anyone to that house and being like, oh, oh, my new home is... Oh. <laughs> I thought I was getting riches. Yeah. I thought I was getting... Mean, well, I know that they were poor, but like, you don't... You, you, like, you don't have to live hole. in squalor, right? You don't have to have a fucking hole in the top of your a roof. A hole in your house is like a big deal. You should tell that to someone before you tell them you're going to marry them. Yeah. It's, she's so weirdly just like, well, that is a, a feature of this house like she doesn't <laughs> seem to be pleased by it no it is strange right because you would also think like even though she knows that Thomas clearly doesn't have like a lot of money because that's why he's there in America looking for money you would still think that like to a certain point she probably has an idea as to what the life of being married to a baronet would be like and like she doesn't get any of that, right? She literally is in this house all the time. She never leaves this house. It's not like they have, like, lovely conversations walking through the woods yeah. or something like that, or, like, walking along the yeah. edge of the cliff or whatever the fuck you want to have. Like, what does she feel about being in this house? Do you house? know what's nuts to me? What? I don't want to go too much about this house, but the first thing I see when the first time of this movie and every time I watch it is mm-hmm. the hole in the roof, and I go, like, what do you do when it rains or snows? And <laughs> yeah. you find out later, fucking nothing. Yeah. <laughs> There's just snow on the ground. But, like, they don't even take any... They don't even put buckets or rug. Right. I know. Right. Just the floor. Or just plywood. Not plywood even, on the ceiling. Exactly. That's it. You're not even nailing two by fours up there. <laughs> like, <laughs> on the floor even. Like, now you can just a pile of snow. You yeah. know how much water damage is exactly. going to Exactly. Also, your house is already sinking into clay pits. Oh, yeah. this is not helping. And... They they never they never note this in the movie, but they must be speeding the process along of the house sinking in because right. they're actively mining out the yes, planet. They're yeah. mining out that which the house rests upon. <laughs> and which if is, I could bring it back to the movie and yeah, what like yeah. my problem with all of this is that I know that it's just Del Toro, like, well I mean granted, yes, fine, it looks cool, it looks yeah. nice, but it's I it can't process or believe that there's <laughs> This <laughs> fucked up a house. Yeah. And will, this many problems. Yeah. And I don't think we've established a style that is high enough to keep us engaged and, like, allow us to suspend our disbelief that much. Yeah. Like, it's weird to say that in our gothic horror movie with ghosts that a hole in the ceiling is too much, but it kind of is. Yeah, I'm like, how do you, how have they not... It's just bizarre that it's not registered with anyone, especially not a character that we're led to believe, at least we are informed through lines, not through acting. Smart. Is smart. And is, like, speaking her mind, but she really only speaks her mind once, to be be fair. And then she's just like, okay, I guess I'll live in this house with a hole in the roof right. and the pipes run red. <laughs> yeah, the pipes run red. The creepy ass sister yeah. goes well, up and out of the floor. I, 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 I guess I won't have my own keys even though I'm technically the mistress of this right. house. Right. 
I mean, I don't know, man. It's nuts. I'm, you know, and you, my my sister in law keeps staring lasers at me throughout the day. <laughs> I'm sure it's nothing. So before we get too much into like the overall plotting of this, which I feel like we're kind of getting to a little bit, uh, the question I kind of wanted to ask you guys is like, what is this movie? Like, so is this is this a horror movie? No. No. Is this so? This is just like a gothic fiction movie with ghosts. Yes. Yeah, but I don't think and a I romantic. Think it's fine. I think okay. it's, I think it has many many of the conventions and plot uh, plots threads or whatever mm. I don't know, words words are family plot like. elements plot elements I think it has the basic structure of a gothic fiction it does no it certainly does right where you know like yeah. you said girl meets like aloof husband marries him goes to his creepy ass house there are life things that she's danger. not supposed to do yeah she figures out why her life is in danger and she sorts it out right right that's it's, it there it's interesting right because it's it's that that it's played. Both straight and not straight. So it's like they're they're playing it straight in terms of like we're not really changing a lot of what normally happens in these stories, but it's just like we're kind of adding in like more like funky details here and there. Right. So like I don't think to me this doesn't feel like a subversion of gothic fiction. This feels like gothic fiction turned up to eleven, where it's just like everything you would get in a gothic fiction story, but so much more of it. Yeah. Yes and no, right? Because I feel like even at least in a gothic fiction story, you feel like you're swept up in what's going on, where I don't feel that way watching Crimson Peak. Yeah. So, Again, I think it's inexpertly done here is the yeah, problem. It is. I think if it wasn't, it would feel pretty true to the genre. Yeah, I think that's true. So, like, does it matter, then, that this is not very scary? No. No. Okay. I think the biggest problem with this movie and why it, why it doesn't... Why you can't immediately... Why you have question all about what type of movie it is, is that in a gothic fiction, you would at least feel like you wouldn't know exactly what the fuck is going on. Whereas in this movie, they hide nothing from that you. That is true, yeah, from the get-go. Yeah, and that's yeah. the biggest sin, is For that you don't... You, you, I mean, you should suspect something when you're reading these books. There's mm-hmm. a reason you're reading them. When you pick up a gothic fiction novel, you know something's fucked up. Right. But it's you shouldn't know secret. what exactly is fucked up. Whereas in this movie, you're like, oh. It's almost I like... See. It's telegraphed to you right away, yeah, right? It's, it's almost like the experiment was, what if we told a gothic fiction in which the driving mystery was not mysterious at all? Like, you just knew everything up front. And I guess it's... You could say that that's a subversion or a deconstruction in that you're changing a primary element of the genre, but it doesn't feel... It doesn't feel well done, and it honestly saps a lot of the fun. Well, right. So, like, if the mis- if the central mystery to this has been solved right away from the get go, what are you watching this for? Like, what is the yeah. compelling thing that's taking you through to the end of this movie? You're I watching mean, a character make dumb decisions because you know the ending of this mystery, and she has not gotten there yet. Compounding that feeling is that while she is still figuring out the mystery that you already know the answer to, you then also see a secondary character with Mith- with uh, McMichael finding mm-hmm. out things that you already saw happen. <laughs> yeah, true. yeah that, like, oh my god. Like, Mr. Cushing hired a guy to look into the sharps. We already knew that. Why are we spending time on him solving that mystery? Yeah. If that's all, they retell things we already know yeah. just to form an elaborate excuse to get McMichael over into England so that there's another character to help get Edith out. I mean, he, and he fails. Yeah. Right. And yeah, he could, shows up in, in, almost immediately. You cut him out and yeah. would, nothing would change. Right. It really wouldn't. <laughs> Truly. Um, I think ultimately, I, I don't know what the aim was, but I think Del Toro, I feel like a lot of why he wanted to make the movie was just for the visuals. Mm-hmm. I think he just wanted to make a beautiful, fucked up Victorian house yeah. and people wear dresses. And, <laughs> and he did that. Yeah. He goes, and to be fair, mission accomplished as far as that's concerned. Yeah. It's a great showcase. So I don't know what he thought about the plot, but I don't think he thought about it for too long or too hard. I feel like it has to be said, I don't know for you guys, for me anyway, the house really works. Me too. I know that you were a little more apprehensive about parts of it, I think. 
About the house? Yeah. I mean, I still have a problem with the hole in that room. No, of course. That's yeah. why you should. <laughs> like, I can't get over it. Yeah. I think the set of the house is great, aside from the hole. The hole yeah. also is weird to me. Yeah. But the thing well, I actually... Again, I'm sorry. Like, uh, just not... Like, what's the point of the hole, right? Is the hole a metaphor? Like... I visually, I have no idea what's going on. Right. Well, I, the other thing is just there's leaves falling down, but there are no trees anywhere near yeah, this house. So where are the leaves coming from? <laughs> <laughs> there's yeah. When I joked about there's just a guy up there. It's just what is his name? Finley. Finley or the man servant or whatever. Yeah, he's just got a bucket of leaves. He's like pouring down for atmosphere. The master one shot for spheric effects. Which like why not then just put trees around it? There's well, nothing. Because you want it to look barren, right? Like you want it to look like there's nothing so there. Then you can't and that's fine, but then why leaves? Why not just the have whole... it be like red clay dust or something? Like it's in the air, it came down in or something. My whole thing is that house, there are so many things that don't make sense about the house. Why would you build it there in the first place? Yeah. It's a garbage pit. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing there. Apparently it's all clay and you can't plant shit there. Right, and you're mi- so you're mining beneath it too yeah. also. Like you don't build your house on top of a coal mine and just hope that like everything goes okay. Yeah. Well, that you're actively Right, that you're actively excavating. Out. Like you just don't do that. <laughs> your house is going to fall in on itself. The other not so thing, which is where I totally lost it at the end was yeah. like and I think you see glimpses of it earlier in the movie but at the end it's really prominent oh yeah is that there is clay leaking yeah. down the side yeah. of the house how the is the walls. clay yeah the clay is like traveling up into the walls of the house but it's, it's seeping down, out like somehow. blood right. or yeah. something well yeah. I think he just got carried away with a very heavy handed visual metaphor where but it's I mean, like the water runs red from the pipes <laughs> the clay is red but it's the blood is red that. like the tea is red the weird thing is it's like it's doing that in the beginning too so you would think almost like maybe it's a sign like again it's a symbol of like Lucille's madness and now the walls are just literally running red but like it's happening earlier on when you see it too like not as overtly but there are scenes in the kitchen where you see clay dripping down the walls when it would be more effective if they saved that like clay drip for maybe a subterranean chamber in which that might make sense yes because like below I get it because then you've like dug that into the clay or whatever that makes sense but I don't know how clay gets it's almost like it seeps up not down (laughs) (laughs) much like the, the much like the mystery leaves um, I also think in general the set of the house is really cool. I think things like the clay seep are like a mishandling and I also think in many instances the way this is going to sound so nitpicky but the way in which the interior of the house is lit is many times yeah. too bright for my taste. I, I need to turn it down. So here's the problem, right? It's like I'm just like comparing it to something like The Innocence which I talked about before, right? Which is set in a big spooky old house. This big spooky old house is also filmed in black and white so you have nothing but shadows going on so you're not worried as opposed to Crimson Peak where you have like lots of greens and lots of reds and there's like some golds thrown in there too for good measure. So like of course the house is very well lit and very bright because you want to be able to take in every single aspect of it and you as a viewer want to be able to see like this nonsense that Guillermo del Toro has created. It also makes it very unscary when you just yeah. see like a ghost in the distance it's like oh it's a ghost there she is. There's a handful of shots that we talked about where it's kind of effective that a ghost suddenly pops up like there is one where she's in the bathtub and you just see like a ghost's elbow kind of like popping in the distance and then you see it a little bit closer like twitching around and there's the scene where she finds the wax cylinders mm-hmm. in the closet. She thinks the dog's in there and she's like oh dog how did you get trapped in the closet that you see the dog in the hallway she looks down at the dog and then when you cut back to her there's like a ghost's head like popping out of the closet and it slams yeah. yeah so like there are moments where I think it's effectively scary which are the moments that make me think like he wants this to be scary like I think he wants this to be a little bit scary but those moments are so few and far between that I can't like I just can't feel there's a consistent touch throughout the movie we also kept returning to it when we were watching it but I just feel like a much more well done of 
version of the thing I think he was shooting for was like Lady in Black, which I thought used light and shadow. Woman in Black. Woman in Black, sorry. Lady in Black. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Woman in Black, which I thought used light and shadow extremely effectively, but they, and it wasn't in black and white, but I thought they did, they lit the interior of their spooky mansion very well. The difference I think, I'm sorry, but the difference I think with Woman in Black also is that it's dilapidated in the sense that everything is super washed out. This is dilapidated in the Guillermo del Toro sense, where everything is still like super hyper-saturated bright colors. So it's like in a house where everything is already super pale and in shadows to begin with it's very easy to have a ghost in the distance suddenly move with this one it's like oh well the lights are on in every single fucking hallway of this house so if anything moves you're gonna catch it yeah I think brightness and lightness are getting confused at least a bit because Mm -hmm. I there are parts of the woman in black that are in broad daylight that are still very unsettling because she appears outside at some point so at one point he looks out and there's just a woman standing there I fucking hate that woman it's so awful but it's sun there's sun out yeah. And that's creepy. Yeah, it is. Because it's just a person. And again, I have a, what I find unscary about it is really not the fact that the house is lit. I think the house could be lit. It could be day. It could be night. I don't care. I think it's the way the ghosts look. Mm-hmm. And maybe, the again, the lusciousness mm-hmm. that it looks cartoony. It does. That's fair. Or like very almost like video game enemy where it's like, yeah. it's another but red it's the, skeletal it's zombie thing. It's the CGI ghost. It's also the like lush, the everything is so colorful. Again, like it's desaturated in the woman in black. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think if, if it was a little like grainier or, or yeah. grimier it'd be a little easier for me to be spooked a little more lived in kind of like yeah. how um, or on a similar note but it's not what Del Toro wants to do with right. his visuals and that's right. fine I just think it's not as spooky yeah it makes it hard to be scary it would undercuts the scares and yeah. it also we were kind of pointing Brendan kept pointing out that like the ghosts were all played by people in costume and then they were meant to be I think enhanced through CG animation right. but the effect makes it look like it's all very just mediocre CG. Well, I mean, like, when I saw it the first time, I thought they were all CGI. And then I read yeah. online, Guillermo was like, no, 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 they were people in costumes. And so I don't know what the costumes actually looked like when they were filming or, like, what he did to plus it up with CGI. But it reads as being almost entirely CGI. There's a few shots where I think it looks like a person in a costume. But then, like, you cut to their head and, like, the front of the skull is missing or they're, like, twisted yeah. in a weird shape where it's just sort of like, okay, well, this is clearly not a guy in a costume. This is clearly something that we judged up after the fact. Right. And, I mean, I guess... The effect there is that a human, the physicality of it, mm-hmm. and the, some of the physicality is good, but it doesn't, It's it loses all the creepiness when it's like a, a bright red CGI ghost. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's almost, I don't know, it's just, I guess it becomes so over the top that it's difficult to be afraid of it or something at a certain yeah, point. Yeah, again, it just looks fake and goofy. Yeah. I also just, not to go back to the lighting thing, but it did stick out to me how like, a lot of how it's shot, well, things are shot outside of the house, and especially in America, is desaturated in a very odd way. Well, there's like, a lot it, of, like, everything, and Everything gold. looks overcast. Yeah. And I just thought it was a weird choice that everything kind of looks this, like, slightly faded. Right. You would think that, like you had said, in America, it would be hypersaturated and very sunny and very bright and very sort of, like, lush and lots of gold. Right. Because this is, like, you know, land of opportunity, blah, 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 mm-hmm. bullshit. And then when you contrast that with... Um, the moldering falling apart. Right, with Allerdale Hall, it's, it's just, like, you know... Gloom. Desat- yeah, desaturated, like, green, sickly falling That apart. would make sense to yeah. me. There was, talking about the ghosts, the one scene that I had brought up when we were watching this that felt like a weird way to do it was the second time when Edith sees Ghost Mom at the end of the hallway. Is she's, like, the door twitches open, the doorknob is spinning, she opens the door, looks out in the hallway, doesn't ostensibly see anything. She looks down at the doorknob, she looks back up, and instead of seeing, like, a point of view shot at, like, 
her face, then at the end of the hallway, mom suddenly appearing. You just see her looking up, and then you cut to, like, a fairly medium shot of the ghost at the end of the hallway. Like, maybe, you know, the camera is two or three feet away from that ghost. Which is just, like, it's not scary when you do it like that. It just presents the ghost as a very matter-of-fact sort of, like, well, now here's the ghost. Well, and it also pauses on that shot, and it does, like, a slight circular pan, I think. As if we're just supposed to drink that image in for that moment, and then it acts as if, right. like, I'm activated. Right, and then she, like, thrusts her, arm, thrusts her arms out and eat it. But it completely saps the moment. It's not scary. Yeah. And again, well, this also, we should probably talk about Mom Ghost. Like, is Mom Ghost supposed to be scary? Mom Ghost is black. I think Mom Ghost is at least supposed to spook you a little. I guess. So why is Mom Ghost black? I don't understand ghosts in this movie. I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna also say that you we've talked like you definitely said that you think that Del Toro wanted this to be scary. Mm-hmm. I simply can't. I mean, I, I, he failed no matter what. Yeah. I I don't know that I agree that I think he meant it to be scary. I, She's certainly scared of them, but that I, doesn't make any sense to me. I think he wanted elements of it to be scary. I think he wanted it to be scarier than it ends up being. I don't think he wanted it to be an out-and-out horror movie because nothing that I've seen of this yeah. movie indicates that it was supposed to be. It was always supposed to be sort of like a gothic story with ghosts in it. But nonetheless, if I'm watching this entire movie and there are only like two or three scenes where I'm just sort of like, ooh, that was scary, I feel like something has failed in the execution a little bit. I don't, I'm going to say something a little bit rash. I almost feel like you could cut the ghosts out of the story and not lose that much. Yeah. Because the scenes with them don't add that much. I don't find them to be scary. And the ghosts don't give her anything that she couldn't have just figured out through further snooping. Yeah, I mean, the most wrong. unsettling parts are really not the ghost parts. It's like the imagery of the bug eating the caterpillar. Yeah, the yeah. Butterfly. Yeah, yeah, like the dying flies when she goes into yeah. the house. Or, um... <laughs> just the clay coming through yeah. this is weird that was weird I also thought when um, that first time that Edith and Thomas start making out and he kind of like picks her up a little and she like brushes against just like detached mannequin heads yeah. or like doll heads oh the dolls have like her. creepiest faces yeah, which yeah. by the way that was a very tonally weird moment right because it's supposed to be like ooh they're having like this romantic passionate moment and they're still playing that romantic passionate music as they're also lingering on shots of doll faces looking at them <laughs> yeah just to talk about the ghost we were like saying earlier that there seems to be some sort of color scheme happening with them right yeah and Wikipedia seems to place importance on the colors but yeah. I don't know if they're getting anything from Del Toro about what the ghost far but like it doesn't make any sense to me right so what we have is we have mom in the beginning is a black ghost Mm -hmm. lucille at the end when she's dead singing from the piano is a black ghost thomas when he shows up at the end is a white ghost Mm -hmm. every other ghost that we see is is red red and gooey and sometimes desiccated or bleeding what have you Mm -hmm. so like the idea probably is supposed to be that the ghosts who are red died traumatically and horribly and like were murdered uh the ones who are in black like lucille i guess are evil but contrary wise why is mom in black because she doesn't seem to be evil thomas i guess is white because he's sort of like turned good at the end and accomplished what he needed to do and why would mom also be white right no that's yeah there's no reason my mom should be white. And I had told you guys when we were watching this that one of the things I had saw online was this completely batshit insane theory that I had read on a review. And there were a few other people who agreed with this too. That the ghost in the beginning, mommy ghost, is Lucille. Now explain to me how that could work. Going back can't. through time. Yes! How? How does she go back in time? Like, the only similarity, first of all, is that they're both black. Like, it's clearly not the same ghost, first that of all. That makes but there no were, sense. But I have a movie being like, I'm surprised that no one noticed that the ghost in the beginning was actually Lucille. Fucking how? Fuck you. Yeah. That's, that's not true. No, that's the dumbest that's not, shit. Obviously not fuck you, Brendan. No. I just mean well, like... Well, how do you? Go out here. But, no, but, like, but fuck those people who... 
What no, do you mean? Like, I'm just saying, like, what sort of like dumbass fan theory is this shit? That's dumb. I don't yeah. like it. No, in, but again, I think it does. I feel like the reason why these dumbass theories are coming into play is because there's no plausible reason as to why the mother should be black. Here's the only thing I can think of, and I'm not saying that this is the reason. I even would even wager that Guillermo del Toro doesn't know why he chose what colors for what people. They might have just like done it, period, and that's just what happened. But I guess you could say women are black ghosts, men are white ghosts. <laughs> And if you die traumatically, you're a red ghost. That's, yeah, the, the, that's almost the, certainly not it. The hit, the hit nonfiction book. But I, but Better I, white ghost, women are black ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> Carol Dutour's relationship advice. That's novel. what it is for the, for the afterlife, dating and the afterlife. <laughs> well, I'm not saying that that's the reason why, but I'm saying that's the only, from what we see in the movie, that's the only designation I can work out. Yeah. Maybe what I've else, what else is the link what? between Lucille and mom? I, again, I think we, I think, what the easiest form to understand is that the red ghosts seem to be like, they don't have much left to them beyond their anguish and, and rage and pain mm-hmm. from dying dramatically. Mm-hmm. And so they're, they, cause all the red ghosts do. And that's the, that's my meta explanation for why they do nothing helpful. They just sort of scream and yeah. like, and moan yeah. and like, yeah. flop around. They can't like speak or do anything normal. They always creep people out because they're just sort of reflections and remnants of that from mm-hmm. when they died. I think the black ghosts are ghosts that have oh, there's a word I can't find, but they're like, like revenants, like they're tied to that space. They're I think that they have a grudge or unfinished something. business. Not unfinished business because mm-hmm. I think white ghosts can have unfinished business, but I think white ghosts have made peace with dying. Okay. And I think black ghosts have have like lingering a purpose to yes yeah. or that rage may- or like something uh-huh. strong that is holding them. But then that makes sense why they were like resentment. That was what okay. I was resentment. So it's not just it's not like that they're evil. They could be, but it could also be that they just um, have a lot of resentment for whatever caused their death. So then that would make sense why Mom Ghost and Lucille are black ghosts and they stuck around. Yeah. Whereas we saw White Ghost Thomas uh, dissipate. Towards yeah. the end of the movie. Yeah, I think Thomas is like, okay, it was sort of a freeing thing for him to have died. Do you think he went to heaven in that movie? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I feel like this is a whole other conversation. Like, what a question. About morality. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, like, it's the implications of an afterlife in this. So honestly, I think that what you just worked out there with, like, black ghost, red ghost, white ghost yeah. is as close to the truth as I think we're like to Yeah, that, I, that's, that's plausible enough. I know we'd already covered some... <laughs> talked for a long yeah, time already. We've already covered some plotting, um... Just so we had already talked about the fact that you kind of know what's happening from the beginning of this movie onward. Yeah. If you see the trailer for this movie, you can probably piece together what's going to happen in this movie. And then as you watch it, we spend time on the weirdest things. Like you'd think in the beginning, you A, you don't want Lucille to be immediately telegraphing that there's something weird between the two of them. Thomas Sharp seems fine. I mean, desperate to get money, but he doesn't seem like he's hiding something spooky. Yeah. Whereas as soon as you meet Lucille, She's like this weird ice princess. Well, yeah. he doesn't seem like it, but then like their second scene together, he's like whispering to Lucille. Right. About well, they're having a discussion. Well, so that's the other yeah. issue. We got too many scenes of asides and little like quick conversations between the two of them to give away the game. Well, and there's the weird. So the conversation that they have on their outside also is Lucille saying like, "No, no, Edith is too young. We shouldn't be doing this with someone so young." And Tom's like, "No, no, we're going to do this," which feels kind of like. 
it, it's a reversal of their roles for most of the movie. Like, it seems like for most of the movie, Lucille is the one really pushing him to do things he doesn't want to do. And at that point, like, Thomas is the one who, for whatever reason, is like, no, this is the girl who it has to be. She's always whispering in his ear, like, two or three times in the beginning when they're in America of, like, now's the time. Like, yeah. do it now. But it's weird that no one seems to pick up on the fact that Lucille is plotting something because she's not subtle about it. No, not at all. And you also, <laughs> so you also get the confirmation in that earlier scene wherever um, her dad is talking to Thomas and Lucille and is like, here's some proof that like shows you're up to no good. I want you guys to get the fuck out of here and break my daughter's heart. So it's like, clearly you as a viewer watching that scene are like, oh, so there's nothing good happening here. They really are bad people. And then like, we have to continue doing this dance and pretending that like, maybe they are a little good or maybe Lucille's not a fucking creep despite the fact that Lucille flies off the handle almost immediately. Immediately. Well, and you need to you need to trim those back. You need to trim the scenes between uh, uh, Thomas and Lucille because it, it gives it gives it up too quickly. And we also, when we're spending time with Edith's dad, finding things out about them way too early in the movie and also, like, trying to scare them off, these are all moments we could be spending with our protagonist. And we're actually very underserved in this movie because... She's a passive protagonist who we don't really get to know that much. We know a lot more about Lucille and Thomas than we do about her. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's another problem that's been pointed out that we don't know when Thomas turns in this movie. We don't know at what point Thomas actually decides that, yes, he is in love with Edith and he doesn't want to be with Lucille anymore. It is hinted, though, somewhat early because when he gets back to the house with her, there's a moment where Lucille, like, grabs his face and is like, what, do you already have... Do you already like this girl or something? I don't know what she says. And then it cuts away before he can answer. Yeah, but it does seem like... There's doubt from that point on, which is fairly early in the movie, yeah. but it doesn't, it's not really clear. It's, it's weird that we get too much of a mystery, which saps its atmosphere, which is a bummer, but then we get nothing, we don't really get that much of what's going on inside Thomas's head, which I wish we got more hints about. Sorry. And so like two other things related to sort of what Lee was just saying also. So like, first of all, they mentioned later, Lucille says at the end of the movie, whenever she's talking about, like, all the previous wives, she says something about how, like, they were all women who had lots of money and no families and whatever come looking for them. But in the beginning, he's there for Eunice, who has a mother and a brother who is very proactive and actually goes to England at the end to find Edith, which, like, one would assume that he would go after his sister if she were, like, right. hijacked and taken there. She's like, first of all, why were you ever after this girl to begin with who has, like, a very busybody mother and a very, like, square-jawed brother? Like, for one, like, what was your goal there? Second of all, he goes... And he sees Edith, and I guess he falls in love with Edith maybe when he first sees her. First of all, when he first sees her, he assumes she's a secretary for her father. We don't get a scene where he sees her, and she's like, oh, hi, dad. And he's like, wah, for her daughter, <laughs> which, like, I feel like you kind of need a little bit, just because I need to know that at some point he's registered this. Because the next scene, he just shows up immediately realizing that she lives with him. Why does he want to be with her? Because presumably he knows that if he chooses this girl for his bride, he knows that he's going to have to take her back to London or England, and then he's going to have to kill her and take her money. So unless for some reason he sees her and thinks like, oh, this is somehow my salvation. This is the woman who can get me out of this horrible relationship I'm with Lucille. Like, what's the point of choosing I, someone who he's actually in love with? I don't. I, I I understand. You're not thinking clearly or like you're to, the, to a clear end game when you're in these situations. So mm. I think that like... In the moment, he sees someone that he likes and is attracted to, and he's probably thinking at some point, like, well, I can just not, we can just not kill her. We'll get the money regardless. Mm-hmm. Maybe I can just keep living with her, and, like, I'm not going to think about what happens, because that's unpleasant to think about. So if you're just, like, you can want things more than your brain wants to rationalize. Right. Sometimes. You yeah. can make an irrational decision. I was also thinking about it in terms of maybe he rationalizes it to himself, at least at the beginning, with, like... Yeah, we're going to kill her, but maybe at least this time I can, like, enjoy myself with this person before she dies. I suppose so, but if so, if that's the case, 
there's just so little of Thomas's interior again, like, yeah, happening it's... in this movie that I can't tell what his motive is at almost any point. Yeah, in this we should movie. we should understand him for the, it being like you know him her uh, a gothic fiction centered on Edith. Mm-hmm. Like Thomas is the is one of the most confusing characters. Like there's so much going on there, and it could be interesting to get into. We don't have, there's the movie just doesn't get into it. But it's very, like there's clearly some very complex things happening there. Yeah, and I don't think. We haven't fully delved into it, but like the movie doesn't isn't quite clear about this. But I think the movie thinks that it's a consensual relationship, but I don't know that I agree. Between Lucio and Tom, I don't think I agree either. No, I, no, I agree with you. He seems like they're they're very. Sm- I remember so toward the end when Lucio's sitting at the piano, and then he's like he's like, "Must we kill her or whatever?" Yeah. And Lucio's like, "Hey, you know what happened? If they found out about us, they'd yeah, take me away and they'd kill you." Yeah. yeah, and then like, and so then there's the scene where she's like, "Like you wouldn't leave me. You couldn't leave me." She's like touching his face, and he just says like, "I can't. Yeah. I can't leave you." And he starts crying, and it's just like that reads to me as like he's clearly in a relationship against his will with his sister, who like he's sort of locked into now because they've done so many horrible things together and live this horrible life that like he feels like he truly can't leave her but he doesn't want to be with her it's weird that they that the movie would so almost directly invoke a flowers in the attic situation which mm-hmm. no one holds up as a like fun portrait of a consensual <laughs> relationship incest. you know what I mean yeah. Yeah. like it's incestuous these people are in like of, like under extreme emotional and mental duress they're not making right. decisions that are healthy for them right. but the movie doesn't seem to register that as much I think it's registered in Hiddleston performance. He looks like a kicked puppy whenever he's yeah. with but, but, Lucille. But then early in the movie, they show scenes where they're discussing their plans, and it, it almost makes it seem like, oh, he... He has voice in this. Right yeah, this. no, it does. I think he up until the point that they get really back yeah. to Allerdale Hall, it seems like they're on equal footing. Yeah. And that once we see them interacting with each other at their home, and like maybe that's an intentional thing. Maybe it's sort of like while they're back in their horrible home that they spent all this time, and he regresses to like this state of like a twelve-year-old kid or whatever oh, he's supposed to be. Yeah. But like, I don't think it is. And or maybe that's being shared. And or maybe it's the feelings he has for Lucille that make yeah. him more conflicted. But I think overall, it's really weird. It's almost shocking that the movie does not want to talk about this relationship. Yeah. It, it just sort of glosses over it as like, ah, incest. But like, no, there's way more happening there. And yeah. like, that's where so much of the drama comes from. And I'm so confused. I have so many questions about it. It also has to be said, the incest is so weirdly telegraphed from the get-go that yeah. it is also not a surprise when you see them in bed together at the end. I don't know. Well, to be f- the first time I saw it, whenever um, Edith sees them, and then like as Lucio is shoving her against the railing, Edith says something like, you're not even his sister. I was like, oh, will that be the twist? Like, is the twist going to be that they're not actually related? Uh, Lucille is like, oh, sweet dummy, I am his sister, and shoves her over the edge. It's like, yeah, of course you are. Well, they, they have another similar moment where she was like, you stole uh, one of Thomas's wife's babies, and uh, Lucille's like, no, that was that was ours. That was actually the one that Thomas and, and I had. So that's her. like, I don't want to say that was a shocking moment. That's the one moment that I was kind of like, oh, okay, I can see that. Because the only thing you know about the baby is you show the woman carrying, like, cradling the baby when she's a ghost. And so the idea is supposed to be that they killed this woman's baby. And then you find out at the end, like, no, it was actually Lucille's baby. It was a baby of incest, so clearly it wasn't going to live. And the woman was like, well, let me take care of it. I can try and, like, nurse it back to health. It's And so, like, I'm not, like, it's very late in the game to throw that out as, like, another twist or another snag in their relationship. And I don't really care about it or need it. But I think that is, like, something closer to being a surprise, if not necessarily a twist or shocking in any way. But I think that's also when, like, the what should be a fun, mysterious chase to find answers uh, kind of falls pretty flat and hollow and clunky because we already know these answers by the time Edith is, like, shocked by them. Yeah. And 
it's an it's a really big problem if your audience already has the answers that your protagonist is now just learning. It's very rough to make a movie where you're at any given point five steps ahead of the protagonist. And we have to cut away from the action to make Michael's finding things out we yeah. already know. We're well, ten that. steps ahead of McMichael the entire time. Right. So anything about actors we want to say? Um I would I would say that in general their performances are pretty good to Jessica Chastain's like great in yeah, this I think movie. Jessica Chastain's terrific in this movie. I think the only issue is she stays at the same I really wish there was That's more variation. That's a writing issue. Yeah, I, I think, think it's a writing I think it's a direction issue. Yeah, there's I mean does Gruen's credibility that she's not able to maintain any kind chill. of right. odd. Yeah, as we chill. said, they've done this like what three or four times before yeah. and like has she always been this inept at it? Has she <laughs> always gone into it like like all like, you know, portentous yeah, stares. All, like, yeah. yeah, staring daggers and, and sultry looks. And and then also like Come here, possible new sister-in-law. Let's look at dead butterflies yeah, together. I'm going to pick a dying one and rub it against your cheek. But it like, also switches, it corrupts the rest of the movie and the performances because then when she's that crazy all the time, then you're like, why is Edith so stupid? Right, yeah, no, it makes you, like, Edith, I think, already comes across charitably as yeah. not that proactive or intelligent. And why the fuck she is Tom is so now. immersed in her, like, obsessed with her? Because she's not. Well, yeah. and then it also, not to backtrack away from acting for a moment, but it does beg her credibility when I just kept asking through it. The first time we all watched this together was like, why are they staying in this house? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Because I thought for sure it was going to be one of those things where they're just in like, well, we can't leave. Like, this house is like, this is our home. Like, we fought for this home and we're going to keep it. Even but then in the end, Thomas is like, let's just leave. Let's go somewhere. And Lucille's like, what? What are you talking about? But like, Lucille doesn't even have a reason why they should no, stay. Yeah, and it seems like they've literally <laughs> never considered this before. Why would they not leave this fucking horrible house where their horrible mother kept them locked in the right. attic all the time? Like, this gloomy fucking also, shell there's a hole in the roof. Yeah, also, a hole in the roof. <laughs> Like, why would they not just cut their losses and go someplace? Just leave. It boggles the mind. But yeah, it's a bummer. I will say that is a direction and writing issue because I think, for the most part, Jessica Chastain knows what movie she's in. I think she hits the right tone. The faces that she is serving up in this movie are perfect and how icy and intense they are. Mm. And then when she has to turn it up to 11, she really goes for it. It's great to watch. Yeah. I, I think she's probably the MVP acting-wise in this movie. I would agree. Everything else is... Like, Tom Hiddleston's fine. Mia Vasikowska, like, they're both fine. They deliver fine performances. I yeah. think Vasikowska got more opportunity to do something like I do, too. More varied. I, part of me think... I don't know how old Mia Vasikowska was when they shot this. Part of me thinks she should be younger. Part of me thinks she should read as 17 Interesting. or so. I don't know how old she is, but she looks older than 17. Because they also make a point of saying earlier on that she's too young. Like, or Lucille rather says to Thomas that, like, no, this one's a child. She's when, too young for this. When I first saw this movie, I thought the twist was going to be that, like, Lucille and Thomas were vampires and were actually, like, several hundred years old. Because I, otherwise, I didn't really think the gap in age was that noticeable to I be like, she's so either. young. Yeah. I, honestly, the only performance I have an issue with is Charlie Hunnam is, yeah, Charlie so, is so wooden in this movie. Yeah. I don't know what it is. Like, I've never seen Sons of Anarchy, but people say he's good in Sons of Anarchy. He's fine okay. in Sons of Anarchy. Why no does Guillermo del Toro like him so much? I don't know. Guillermo del Toro, it, much like God, he moves in some mysterious ways. I guess so. I just don't understand it. I don't like... Everyone has blind spots. Yeah, no, we all do. <laughs> he just loves Charlie Hunnam so much. Well, I wonder, actually, maybe it's a, like, before he loved Charlie Hunnam, he definitely loved Ron Perlman, and Ron Perlman is on, was on Sons of Anarchy with Charlie Hunnam, and I do believe they became very good friends. So I wonder if there was, like, a few parties yeah, when Ron true. Perlman was like, hey, can you... Spare apart for my buddy Charlie Hunnam, please. <laughs> Why wasn't Ron Perlman in this movie? Why wasn't uh, he playing the mother? Or <laughs> give him literally any character. He would have been yeah, great. Yeah, he's been fine, Dad. 
Yeah. Oh, anyway. that would be interesting. A real. Can you imagine him in these There's like? No way he would have been murdered in that. <laughs> no, <I don't> <laughs> like, well, can you also imagine? Can you imagine Ron Perlman in those like cravats and waistcoats being like, "I need a corset." <laughs> All right, I think can we fixed. Imagine? We fixed the movie. There it is. Can you imagine this Ron tiny, flighty bird, Mia Wasikowska, ti- like having to get up on a ladder to tie a cravat around Ron Perlman's neck? Oh, oh what fun that God, would have been! It would be like Beauty and the Beast all over again. Yeah. Which is like this tiny hole this enormous piece of a map. Fuck. God damn. But yeah, there's not much to say about the acting. Um, I think everyone, Tom Hiddleston does a good job with what he's given me mm-hmm. and Wasikowska seem to You get to see his butt. You get to see that those tight buns. Yep, those marble carved buns of his. I, I do just want to point this out. For a movie that revolves around uh, a very sexual reveal, but then also kind of banks on like a different way of like the some kind of chemistry between Mia Wasikowska and uh, Tom Hiddleston. Mm-hmm. I would say like we got kind of medium on the, in terms of like hot passion in this movie. I don't think yeah. Guillermo del Toro knows how to shoot an effective like love scene. Yeah, I don't know. It's because really, what do you get in their love scene? She flops over with her giant dress and just kind of like grinds down on him. Sometimes that's all it takes. I, I don't really know. I can't. I'm not a great judge of chemistry. And I think it was a particularly bad love scene. It was. It was quick. I would say it was quick. It was quick, and I, I guess I just mean like perhaps owing to the color palette, 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 owing to the kind of lower color palette. Oh my boy. God, we've done it. Owing to that, I kind of wondered if that was like sapping some of the like passion and romance. Yeah, anyway. I, I don't know. All right. Music? Did you have any music thoughts? Uh, I think the score is fine. I don't know too much about it. I was listening to it a little bit more closely this time than I was the first time. They have a couple of like, the, the main theme is sort of like waltzy, mm-hmm. which is sort of, like you had said, it's a little surprising because I think it's part of it is playing over the menu on the Blu-ray. Oh, the one thing that really was the the, the well, title music. Like, it yeah, feels like it's, it's like Downton Abbey. Yeah, it feels yeah. like Downton Abbey incidental music yeah. where it's just sort of like bum 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 musical. Yeah, it is. I mean, it feels like it is a like I, I don't know, just like a Regency era romance or right. something. Right. Or if if you put that over maybe like a prestige sitcom or something, right. and that was the yeah. loading menu for that. Right. Which I just think goes to show that you shouldn't always necessarily like have people just haphazardly apply music to Blu-ray menus and just yeah. trust that everything's going to The one moment that I liked it actually felt kind of video gamey. Oh, was, I, um, yeah, I think I know what you're going to say. In the clay pits yeah, yeah. at one point, there's when she's like, it was a really unsettling moment. I felt one of the most creepy and unsettling moments of the movie. It's just like this like vague, heartbeat-esque like, oh, yeah. roll low yeah. rumble. Yeah. And that, for me, will always get me. There have been video games that have had incidental music like that that's very minimalist, and it and, like, just the simple start of a cue like that can be very upsetting. Absolutely. Because then you know, like, oh, shit. Some stuff's about to go the fuck yeah. down. Yeah, yeah no, I, I agree out. with that. I also thought within that same sound design moment, there was also, and I don't think it was happening in the house, but you kind of hear this, like, slightly human animal groan as the body kind of breaks the surface yeah. of yeah. the clay that was really creepy. Yeah, I think that's more like a sound design thing, but yeah. Yeah. Also, I think it should be said that Jessica Chastain learned how to play the piano for this part. She did? Yeah. I thought she faked it, but apparently she learned. Interesting. The only other thing I have to note about her character, by the way, and it's literally the only other issue I have with her, is her hair just looks extremely heavy and wiggy in this movie, but that's all I got. All right. So going into fixes, uh, I can start if... Sure. Sure. I'll let you start. So (laughs) I had two different things that I was kind of working with here. The one thing is just to sort of like subtly go in and tweak everything about this movie that didn't quite work from the original version. Like we were talking about it and we were saying how a big chunk of this movie does not work because you have the mystery figured out pretty much from the get-go. So if you had removed the scene where uh, Edith's dad talks to Thomas and Lucille and says like, I found out that you're up to no good. I'm going to write you a check. Now get the hell out of here. Break my daughter's heart so she doesn't love you anymore. If you don't actually see that scene, 
scene happening, and you just see them leave, they excuse themselves, they come back, and Thomas throws a hissy fit and tells her she's a shitty writer and he never wants to talk to her again, then you have an actual moment where she's like, wow, like, what a jackass that guy actually was. Then she finds out the next morning when she gets a letter stating, like, BT Dubs, your dad told me to break your heart. And then she finds out, like, oh, actually, maybe my dad was up to no good. Why did he give them money and, like, tell them to get away? Like, what was he trying to do there? And then, of course, we find out that he dies, so she can never confront him and be like, father, why did you, like, right. pay them off? So at least you're on a little bit more of a shaky footing there. And so if you go on with Lucille being a little more sort of warm and bubbly toward her, and the cracks don't really start to show until the scene where um, they come back from spending the night at the post office. If they had stamps.com, they'd never have to worry about such a thing. <laughs> By the way, go to stamps.com, use promo code YWATCH. Where Lucille, like, is, like, flying off the handle when she walks back in, and she's like, I didn't know what was happening to you, where clearly she's saying that, like, I was worried because I was so scared that something had happened to you guys, and really she's upset because they're having sex, and she knows that they were off having sex. I also think that um, Alan McMichael needs to have a slightly different relationship to um, Edith. I think that it might be more interesting if there was never, ever, 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 ever any implication that they were going to be romantic partners if they were just really close friends and if you just got more of that with each other. So, you know, mm -hmm. I, I I don't really understand the relationship at all in this movie because it seems like her dad really wants them to get together and it seems like, I don't know what he wants. It seems like she doesn't really care if she gets with him at all ever. Uh, also, the thing that I really wanted at the end, and I know we said this, the house needs to fucking collapse at mm -hmm. the end of the movie. Like, it just needs to fall in the house of Usher. If the house is a metaphor for Thomas and Lucille, which I think it's supposed to be, it just needs to collapse when they both die in the end, sink into the mud pits, red mud shoots out everywhere. It looks like blood. It's wonderful. The scene at the end where she is fighting Lucille and she kills her by just sort of wanging her with a shovel a couple of times. I think the machine is a metaphor for Thomas. I'm not sure, but I assume it's some sort of metaphor for him because he's so attached to it and it's always focused on it's this thing that never quite works and then it works once he gets Edith's money, like, mm. right? And so it's like the machine is repaired now that Edith is a part of it. And so I think maybe it's supposed to be a metaphor for him in that oh, sense and I'm not sure. And if that is the case, then the machine needs to be the thing that kills Lucille, I think, also. That he needs, she needs to sort of, like... Edith needs to, like, hit Lucio in the face with the shovel, knock her back onto so the machine. So you're saying that there should be a ghost in the machine, and that Thomas's <laughs> ghost should... Yes, I am. ...turn the machine on? You That's just exactly turn around what I'm Thomas, saying. Yes. Thomas's... <laughs> yes, yes, and it plays the powerhouse music from Looney Tunes cartoons, and she's like, dun 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 You just see her, like, being pulled through gears. Yes. That's exactly what I want that would be. I would love it if we had this... comes out as a little clip right at the end. And then it starts up. Just like that. <laughs> and you see someone like building a house and like Lucille's eyes on one of the bricks. It's yeah. like, oh, what? It's yeah. the whole process. There's like cartoon, like, click, click. There's like, different parts of her smash around. <laughs> That's the yeah. So that's the version where you just do like the minor tweaks to make this story a little bit more compelling. The other version, which I hadn't fully thought out and has nothing more than like a basic idea, is what if the genders between Thomas and Edith were swapped? I had that idea. I had that Did idea you? as well. Okay. Then I won't, <laughs> I won't say anything else about it, except that it might be a little bit more interesting, perhaps, if you want to do more of a subversion of the gothic fiction trope, if it's told from the point of view of perhaps a more naive young man who meets, like, an older woman who seems like there might be something more going on. I'm sort of on the fence as to whether or not Lucille would also, like, be a man or she would stay a woman. I was kind of thinking she would stay a woman, uh, but I don't know. Anyway, so that was that was what I got there. Yeah, I like that a lot, though. I mean, I, I think you, you kept the same basic thing that you, you made the tweaks that we talked about, essentially. Yeah. yeah. I also had two ideas, uh, one of them about five minutes ago. <laughs> Go for That's it. What I so the, the one I originally was going to do was trying to take the stuff I didn't like out of this. Mm -hmm. And in that one, I think my biggest problem with Thomas is as a, like, per, as a sort of, like, gothic figure, like a Byronic hero, it's hard for him to have that sort of, like, appeal 
and be a kicked puppy sort of abuse victim. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a fine line to walk to see him be a seemingly charismatic, successful, typical debonair. man, debonair man, but then also, underneath it all, be under the... And I guess it's possible, but I, it's a weird thing to struggle it's with. It's a difficult balancing act. It is a very difficult balancing act. So I was trying to work with that, and I don't like it, but I'll say what it was so that I can tell you what I, what I then did after that. So what I ended up doing was getting rid of Lucille as a sister... And instead of having it, because I don't, I don't want to get rid of any weird, creepy sexual stuff. That's me. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do incest. So instead, I like the idea of abuse being at the heart of this. Mm-hmm. And I like the idea of some, creating some sort of metaphor for cycles of abuse through a gothic horror, gothic mm-hmm. fiction concept. So I want there to be like a mother who's abusive and who still has, who in her adulthood has kept a very strong grip on her son. Um, and I want the main thing between, like, behind, like, marrying a woman or whatever is that uh, and I think I brought this up that there's some sort of like ritual that has to be done every yeah. X years to keep the house yeah. rich or, al- or alive yeah. and I like the idea of like it's a cycle of violence that has to be perpetuated in this house mm-hmm. for the house to survive as a metaphor for like the abuse cycle I think um, that's a beautiful way to illustrate that so that's what I was going to do but I still had a problem with like how do you walk this line of this man like how do you go from him being sort of in charge and a typical hero to being, like, kicked around by by his mom? Mm-hmm. And then you still end up with a problem of, like, well, the villain is just a sort of psycho mom. Um, so then I reversed it. Um, there's still a psycho mom, but now it's a daughter, and they still have to kill people. But the daughter is, like, maybe, you know, less willing to want... She's still in that stage where she's like, I don't know if I'm into the idea of, like, having to find a guy to kill. Yeah. Um, but they're a rich family, but their wealth comes from this, like, ritual or whatever. Um, so she has to find someone to, like, marry. And meanwhile, there's this guy, um, from, like, a poor aristocratic family in the sense of, like, all these old fading families who Mm -hmm. has to find, like, a rich woman to marry. Um, and I like the idea of her being sort of, like, you know, sort of a groomed, like, sort of, what is the Miss Havisham's? It's the one that she sort of grooms in Great Expectations. Oh, fuck me. Oh, um, um, oh, God damn it. Yeah. The, I'm but blanking Kip's, on her name. Kip's love interest yes. in yeah. Great Expectations. Like, where she sort of outwardly is this sort of gothic, like, protagonist of, like, being this cold, mm-hmm. aloof woman. Um, but then, you know, and this guy is sort of, like, a little less confident and, like, maybe, you know, is being pushed into doing this by his family. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and sort of, uh, and it's sort of like, you know, it's sort of an underdog. Like, you didn't think he's going to be the one all of these, like, chomping at the bit men to get married to, like, Estella? land this. Estella, yeah. yeah. To, like, land this, like, amazing girl who's rich. But he's the one that does because she sees him as, like, someone who's manipulatable. Manipulatable? <laughs> yeah, Malleable? Yeah. Malleable. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, that's basically the plot. But yeah, it's it's broad strokes. But I think yeah, I want to do a metaphor of like abuse cycles as like some sort of sacri- sacrificial thing. I had a similar thing, at least on the idea of trying to trade in some symbolism of an abuse cycle. Mm-hmm. I, I have it slightly different, and I also have the way the plot is set up in a uh, from a different angle. I want us to spend more time in the house. So in my head, for my fix, the setup is Edith has already been published, but she's been writing under sort of like a J.K. Rowling kind of name where it's like unisex. No one can tell she's a woman. Mm-hmm. And uh, McMichaels is her like best friend since childhood, but he is 
like a publisher who is willing to actually put her stuff out and take part in this kind of smokescreen that will allow a woman to still publish and make so money off Christmas of her writing. scenario. Yeah. <laughs> That's actually what I was kind of thinking about. Uh, going obviously in a different plot direction yes. than that. Um, <laughs> Sorry, just imagine like they go to the farm of Connecticut and it's like on a clay pit. <laughs> that is so fucking funny. All right, sorry, go ahead. I love that though. <laughs> um, it's still going to be that the the Sharp siblings come over to America to get funding. Uh, or actually more specifically, and this I guess is also a Downton Abbey kind of thing of like, they were specifically trying to find an heiress to marry so that they could get money. But mm. in this situation, I think Edith Stad and family and everyone involved kind of knows that and are like cool with like, okay, yeah, this is just what a lot of people are doing at this time. I guess it's like Edith just met this landed guy who needs money. Uh, they seem to tolerate each other, but they are insisting, Lucille and Thomas are insisting that they get married back at Allerdale Hall, which I don't think is going to be quite as falling apart, but it's going to like show some amount of wear. Mm -hmm. But I think the real thing is going to be that... Um, it's going to be made out of red brick made from the clay that they've mined and that the ghost of the abusive mother is sort of living within the walls. So it's literally that cycle of abuse and trauma and violence literally inhabits the house and uh, that it's sort of whatever kind of attendance that Edith and her dad and McMichaels would bring along with them because it's kind of like them and the rest of like a very small selection of guests mm -hmm. would round out and kind of be like picked off in various mysterious ways. I want us to stick mostly with Edith's perspective to kind of maximize the mystery. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I would also want it to be that the, the mother has the greatest amount of influence over um, uh, Lucille. Mm -hmm. And I want it to be implied that Lucille on her own is probably not a monster, but under the kind of like weird hereditary craziness ghost control of her mother is the one that is kind of like pushing this scheme forward. Mm -hmm. So it is the idea to like get that money stamped, kill everyone, move on. Yeah. Um, but that to me would kind of add more of a conflict for Lucille. So she's not just like a total straight up villain, but it would also explain why Thomas would have this kind of weird tortured relationship with Lucille because she is also a vessel for mom. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I think things otherwise can play out more or less the same way, but I think I would want the mystery to sort of be like a... Uh, mystery? A, well, an actual mystery, but also be solved as a group mm -hmm. between Edith, her father, and McMichael. Mm -hmm. I think that we, they would be kind of a good trio with different perspectives and foils. Um, and I'm also thinking that a lot of the death is a lot of the death scenes are going to happen around the idea of clay. So maybe like someone has alarmingly like their entire body has filled up with it or something and they've just died in bed and like red clay is flowing out of their mouths. Um, I want to do away with like red clay ghosts. I just think it was really dumb and boring in this movie. I think it's more interesting if we just sort of see these very strange elaborate deaths happen. They're very clay based. I also think the house needs to eventually collapse once Thomas and Lucille are dead, but I think it should be implied that all of the dead are now kind of like, they live within the like, just like clay morass mm. that is making up the ruins of that house. Very nice. Yeah. Right. I love that we all went in such different directions yeah. for the fixes. Yeah. Well, I think, well, I mean, yes, I think we all had some different ideas, but I do think we all pulled some similar things out. Yeah. And I think that, that tells a lot. I think that someone can watch this and see, I guess I think, I see where there's a, I think there's been. a lot of takeaways you can have from watching yeah. this movie. I think right? you can add a lot of weight by kind of making it, like, yes, it's, they're ghosts, but more importantly, they're like, 
this traumatic past literally affecting and sometimes controlling them. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure there's not enough discourse about this movie, period, but I'd kind of like to Google around and see if anyone else got the abuse out of this, because yeah. I feel like we all got it pretty clearly. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a primary element to yeah. the story. It feels like it, but yeah. anyway. What do we know? Uh, so what do you guys think about this movie? Would you recommend it? I would. I honestly wouldn't. I, 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 you know, I think it's kind of boring, and unless you really want to look at Tom Hiddleston, which is, there's enough to look at, mm-hmm. but... The costumes are fun. I think the sets are fun. Yeah, I think I'm less enamored with Del Toro's visuals than mm. um, you guys might be. Mm. I don't, I'm not speaking for you here, but I, I, I think if you don't like the visuals, there's not a lot to hold your interest. That's, that is true. That's definitely true. I, I mean, I do love the visuals. I do love the look of this movie for the most part. I think there is a lot to like and very little to love about this movie. Uh, is sort of my feeling about it for the most part. Like, it is something that I will watch, but it's something that leaves me very frustrated at the end of it, where it's just sort of like, God, why couldn't everything live up to the promise that this fucking house had, you know? I was was trying to explain this to Paul before I came here, where I was like, it's an enjoyable enough experience. I'm not actively upset when I watch this movie, and I'm not sitting there, like, tearing my hair out that it's so bad. And I, so I'm enjoying myself while I'm watching it, but it's like, it's almost like it comes so close to realizing this greater version of itself, but still falls short, that is ultimately so frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. Because... I, I really think it's they give you the answers so fucking quickly that you never get to have the fun of a mystery. I feel like I would recommend it if you know going into it that it is not scary. Right. You will not at all be terrified by this movie. The marketing was a little misleading The marketing was terrible way. for this movie, incidentally, first of all. Like, it should not have been released. It, it was, I'm pretty sure it came out in October. It should not have come out in October. It should not have been portrayed as a horror story at all. Like, I don't know. First of all, I don't know how you fucking market this movie because this movie is just, like, various parts that Guillermo del Toro has assembled together into being, like, this thing that clearly he loves very much. But probably, like, the film-going community at large might not necessarily respond to. I also think there is there is something to be said about the fact that how do you market this movie if not as a horror? Because it has so many elements that I think are synonymous to most people with horror. And like I said, there are elements that I think are supposed to be scary. So it's like, if you're not focusing on that, then I guess you're focusing on a romance? Yeah. In a creepy house, maybe? I really don't know. Anyways, it's a soft recommend for me, I'd say. I would also put it as a soft recommend. If you look at the trailer and you think, I want to see that visual world, then you should watch it. If if, if, If you look at that trailer and think, I hope this is scary, don't. Don't. (laughs) Exactly. Facebook.com slash Podcast is our Facebook website where you can go and like us and uh, whatever else you might do on Facebook. Uh, Dratpack.com is our actual website. And whywatchpodcast at gmail.com. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't 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 say it it then. I got to say it. Get your finger (laughs) off that send button. I was cursed to say it always. Jesus. Yeah. We'll be back in two weeks with a mini episode. And uh, thank you guys for listening to our Halloween spooktacular. And we hope you have a very happy Halloween. Boo-hoo! 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 Boo-